to the Navigating Dental Insurance Podcast, where we don't take from insurance companies. Here are your hosts, Mr. Jordan Comstock and Mr. Ben Duinay. This podcast is sponsored by BoomCloud Dental Membership Software, www.boomcloudapps.com, and Veritas Dental Resources, www.veritasdentalresources.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another exciting episode on the Navigating Dental Insurance Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Jordan Comstock, and I got Ben, our other co-host, Ben Tuney on the line. Ben, how you doing? Very well, Jordan. Really looking forward to the show. We are very excited to introduce to you a good friend of ours, Dr. Chris Salierno, who is also the chief uh, of the editor of Dental Economics. Um, uh, Dr. Salierno received his BS from Muhlenberg College and his DDS from Sunny Stony Brook School of Dental Medicine. He completed his formal training at Stony Brook's hospital uh, general practice residency program where he focused primarily on implant uh, prosthetics. While in dental school, he was the national president of the American Student Dental Association. Today, he continues his, his advocacy efforts on all levels of the American Dental Association tripartite. On the national level, he has served on the Council of Ethics, Bylaws and Judicial Affairs, the Council on Scientific Affairs, the Council on Dental Accreditation and Licensure. He also serves on the ADA New Dentist Committee representing New York State. He is a member of the Council on Membership and the New Dentist Subcommittee for the New York State Dental Association. Locally, he serves as the Vice President of the Suffolk County Dental Society. Dr. Salierno uh, serves as a co-editor of the Surgical Restorative Resource, a website, and e-newsletter dedicated uh, to the team approach to complex care. He also serves, as I mentioned, as the editor on Dental Economics, the world's largest dental magazine. He has presented numerous resources for dentists, including lectures, articles, podcasts, and webcasts. He lectures internationally on clinical dentistry, practice management, and leadership development. We love his work. I uh, met him personally in San Diego and uh, have witnessed his lectures, and I highly recommend them. And it's great to have him on our program today. Dr. Chris, welcome to our program. So great to have you on. Thank you for having me, guys. All right. So, you know, I think you're uh, uh, on the top tier of uh, famous people that we, we get to interview. <laughs> we had uh, Dr. Mark Costas earlier this week. We have you. Yeah. And then uh, hopefully we Howard still have Dr. Fran on, on, on the yep. schedule for tomorrow. Yep. Nice. And, nice. Uh, and well, thank I'm, I, that's, I'm thrilled to be included in the, a pantheon of famous dentists. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're, if, you're, if you guys give me that title, I happily <laughs> accept it. Yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't, who doesn't know you? I mean, the, the dental economics readership is so vast and oh, yeah. uh, love your articles that you wrote. Uh, the one that you wrote about uh, the short one you wrote about the, the California decision earlier this year as it related yeah, to, yeah. to Delta. Oh, Delta. I read that one too. Yeah. yeah. That was a fun yeah, one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a fun one. So, so well, we try to keep the content in DE very positive. You know, we don't like to have authors bash products or services from companies. Um, but you know, when it comes to PPOs, that's usually when we can lay into some folks. Good to know. Good to know. You should hear our intro. It's, uh, you know, we, we, we don't take milk from insurance companies, you know, it's a bleeped out for the yeah, children, yeah. you know, but, uh, 
for the children. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. That's very nice. So, so Chris, let, let's talk about your affiliation with Dental Economics. Um, so we we love the magazines and, and your articles and others' articles, right? There's, there's a lot of contributors. Um, but for those that don't read it, what's your uh, what's your option on how reading the, the magazine can or may help a practice a practicing dentist? Does that make sense? But I just yeah, said? yeah. So I I took over. Uh, my predecessor was Joe, Dr. Joe Blaze. I took over for him as chief editor about three years ago now. Okay. And the patent publication's been around for over a hundred years since before the first oh, world wow. war, and it always had a focus on the business of dentistry, even way back when. Wow. Um, and um, and it still is a print publication, of course, as it was back then. But we have a lot of digital uh, channels and and uh, e newsletters and YouTube and video, you know, features. I have all media groups are going through a transformation right now and and offering different ways for folks to consume content and, and engage with content, right? Social media, all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, how do people want to receive it? Well, we're actually going through those calls right now. And, uh, you know, we, we look for folks to respond and say, yes, I am a practicing dentist and I'd like to receive it. For the folks out there that are retired dentists, unfortunately, we, we do not send a print publication to those folks. Um, it's exp- it's very expensive to print I was gonna and say, mail yeah. a publication. Yeah, and for the sake of our advertisers too, you know, to, we want to send this publication to people that are making buying decisions. So, uh, we we send to over a hundred thousand practicing dentists in the U.S. And uh, for those folks that want to consume this content, they can get it for free online on DentalEconomics.com. So anyone can access the content. You have to be a practicing. A dentist or in a practicing dental office to receive it as as a print publication, and we have a growing cool. number of people that actually prefer to receive it digitally. So the, the iPad users out there, we have about uh, last I checked it was about ten or eleven thousand people, and it's growing that like to just get that digitized version of a magazine. But yeah. I don't know about you guys, I still prefer print for most yeah, of my me publications. Too. <laughs> yeah, I I get like Entrepreneur Magazine or Inc. Magazine, and I prefer those to be print. Yeah, I get New York and I'm those. Yeah. Those are great ones, and actually, when when I came on board a few years ago, we remodeled DE with its look and its its organization after those two exact publications. Very I'm a cool. huge fan of Think and Entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, very cool, very cool. I think I think <clears throat> over the years, as being being in the dental industry, I think the management aspect of education is so underserved in communities. Over the last five years, it seems to hit, have increased quite a bit. Um, and that's yeah. one of the reasons why I love the the DE magazine is is for that you know great clinical things and also yeah. great great management stuff. Yes. Let's uh, let's talk about insurance. So you're a practicing dentist as well, uh, Long Island, New York. Um, first time I heard you speak, uh, it was at the uh, Academy of Dental CPA meeting in San Diego. That's right. Two thousand in beautiful San Diego. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> nice. And uh, that that entire event, I think you were you were the highlight. I think every every oh. CPA that was there would agree just inside conversation like man Chris's presentation was awesome it was entertaining it was funny <clears throat> but it it was oh, also you. relevant from a management perspective and uh, I loved your take uh, your your joke on uh what what you you took talked about Spirit Airlines or uh or Virgin Airlines, you know, they charge for yeah. everything. You know, they charge for water. Right. They're going to start charging for air. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny, but love to get your take on dental insurance. So our audience is primarily people, office managers, and their dentist uh, um, uh, owners 
who are looking for some takes and feedback on dental insurance. So as a practicing dentist, Long Island, New York, what's your take on dental insurance? Um, a necessary evil is the, is the, is the short <laughs> thing there. And by the way, I'll, I'll join the mutual admiration side. I thought your presentation uh, at that meeting was was spectacular and that's when we connected and and you started to write some articles for us and thank you for that no thank you um (laughs) so you know i started a practice from scratch in 2010 i'd been working for a few years before then and when you get your team together to do a a, to buy or certainly to start up a practice you know you get your accountant and you know equipment manager and you know the, the lender you know all those folks come together they're, they become kind of advisors, right? They want to yeah. see you succeed, especially if you have to pay them a note every month. And it was it was essentially, um, it, it was like a foregone conclusion that we were going to need to take some PPOs when we started. Um, and, you know, that's, in, that's a controversial statement that I made just there because I think it's geographical in certain parts of the country depending upon the makeup of your population that you're serving, depending upon the number of dentists that are there and some other kind of socioeconomic factors, um, it may not be a foregone conclusion that you have to take some PPOs. Right. Um, mm-hmm. There are certainly folks out there, as, as you guys I'm sure discuss on the, on the podcast, that, that, have, that don't take any PPOs and never have, never will, and, and bully for them. Um, but being in Long Island where there are – in is a very high saturation of dentists and patients too, but, but a lot yeah. of such, you know, high saturation of dentists. Um, it is an important part of a marketing strategy, uh, for sure, uh, to be able to attract patients through accepting some PPOs and working with them. Um, there are dentists uh, in my neck of the woods that are, uh, that are fee for service, but they really, if they want to have a busy and successful and profitable practice, then they have to really, turn on the charm and and market themselves aggressively and and and, you know and i don't mean aggressive in a negative way um but it's a challenge out here it's definitely a challenge the folks that are doing it have had practices for a long time they may be in their in their 50s or 60s or even 70s and they could still have really great successful practices that are totally ppo free um but that's a mantle that they maybe have inherited or grew years ago. To start one of those from scratch would be a real challenge in my neck of the woods. I agree with you 100%. I was at the uh, Queens County Dental Society meeting about two and a half, three years ago. And um, we've acquired a lot of clients in uh, New York, New York City, where you're at, Long Island, all throughout that area. And I think you're spot on. Uh, It's a very challenging market in Utah. I don't think Utah is just as, uh, um, I think the number of dentists per capita uh, where you're at, there's more than there are here in Utah. But at one point in time in Utah where I'm at, there were, it seemed like there were so many dentists on every single corner. And it, it seems like that today, but there's been so much population growth that balanced things out. Mm. And, and that's exactly what I do with our clientele. A lot of, a lot of our clients that do startup practices in, in big cities, you almost have to do play the insurance game and for those of you, you said that's a controversial statement, but the reality is, is that is the truth when it comes to uh, developing a new practice or even acquiring a struggling practice in a city. Um, uh, we have clients that call us and that want to uh, take over a fee-for-service practice, and what they find is that they experience greater attrition, a lot of attrition when they take over those fee-for-service practices. Yeah. Um, and then they start f- finding themselves looking into the PPO model 
And, and frankly, the PPO model, it, it, it does work for, for many practices that look at it. And we're going to talk a little bit in, in a few minutes about how you looked at it from a cost perspective. But I, I agree with your assessment. Every practice is different. Every location is different. In yeah. your location, I think you did the right thing. And it's, it's been, of course, paying off for you, right? Your practice is doing well? Yeah, it's been seven years and we're, we're growing strong, growing every year. And we've made a, a ton of mistakes, of course, as <laughs> my partner and I. I mean, uh, expect to I do think, that. I think that goes along with any business. <laughs> yeah, and, and hopefully you learn from them. That doesn't always yeah, go yeah. along with everything. Yeah, that, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a goal would be to say right, we have about, say, eight PPOs, right, broadly, uh, uh -huh. you know, the major players. And yeah, sure, a goal for us would be to get rid of the, the, the bottom paying ones as we grow the rest. Um, you know, these are the kinds of growth decisions that you make as you become too busy, you start to reach capacity. Uh, do I expand more hours, build, bring in more associates, build another chair? Do I just get rid of some of the bottom paying ones? Um, so that is part of our strategy. Uh, will I ever, as a practicing dentist, be PPO free? I don't know. Uh, it's a it's a goal, um, but uh, you know I, I we have to be very uh, practical in, in in how we approach that. Um, you know, if you read the tea leaves and look at some of the major economic <laughs> forces that are having an effect on dentistry today, um, I'm not going to say that that PPOs are going to always be around and, and will be the major uh, player here. But at least the way I read them, I think that some form of third-party payer, whether it is public insurance or private insurance, um, is certainly going to always be around, and it could certainly continue to be a growing, uh, a growing way of how dentists get paid. So to completely ignore them is fine if that fits into a very specific business model that you have. If you have concocted a, a, a using a, like a, the canvas model, you know, if, if you're familiar with that from from generating business models. If you put yes. your business canvas together, which is, it's, oh, I love that. It's a really I'm actually looking at the book form. in my bookshelf here. <laughs> oh, it's such a great book. It, that's one of my Bibles. But yeah. like if you, you know, if you start with who's my target demographic and then what are my key services for them, if you build all of that together in a business plan and part of that for you is to not work with PPOs or not be beholden to be PPOs, mm -hmm. then great, but it has to make sense. You can't just hang up a shingle and be in PPO free and expect yeah. to be successful anymore. I think it's such an emotional thing for a lot of people. And that's one of my frustrations is, you know, we have a lot of clients that uh, they, they do need to do PPOs. They need to play the game and we're going to teach them how to do that. And we're going to hold their hand throughout the process and they'll be just as successful as the other clients that we have. But it's such an emotional yeah. thing that's so hard to overcome because a lot of them felt my, my dad was fee for service. There's absolutely no way I'm going to change that business model. But naturally, what you see with those practices, if, they, if they're not willing to invest in the training, that's what you really have to do is you have to invest in a lot of training and have good systems and protocols in place. And you can be successful as a service. But it's, it's, it, it, my take is it's, it's, it's much more difficult in saturated markets than it is playing the PPO game. It's funny, we have a, a client that uh, right next door, they, there, there's a fee-for-service office and, and their PPO practice. The fee-for-service doctor came in and they started talking numbers and the fee-for-service doctor was so blown away that this doctor is taking home three times more than what he thought was already a good income, you know, being in practice for 45 years. And it, cha it changed his uh, uh, way of thinking on the PPO world. Yes, I I'll be the first to tell you that I don't like dental insurance and they don't like me. <laughs> you know, some, some of them you right. call them up and like, Ben who? Ben, tu tuine? Oh, pfft. 
we don't like that guy. We're not going to deal with you. Or, <laughs> you know, that dude again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Calling to negotiate these fees. Yeah. We always find a way to, to think, work it. Ben, I think you're, I think your photos on a lot of dartboards. Yeah. And that's a good dartboard to be on. By yes, the way. Yeah. I agree. I'm actually very proud of it. You know, when, uh, at some of the meetings, the attendees will say, hey, I called this insurance company, and they said that we should stay far away from you. And then I, my, my common response is, <laughs> well, if you really love them, then uh, well, uh, I bet you love fighting those denied claims over and over and over again, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Man. That, so they're awesome. not on your side. Like, there's, there's a lot of headaches that come along with, with working with PPOs, no doubt. Um, you know, I, I think there are some misconceptions. And I think you guys would agree with me. You know, one misconception for if someone's considering about jumping on PPOs or, or starting a practice and working with PPOs, you know, depending on your situation, there, there's a lot more to consider than just what I'm about to say here. But, you know, one of the misconceptions would be, well, I'm going to have to run my practice like a factory now in order to make the same amount of money if I didn't take them. Mm, and I yeah. think that's a misconception. Another misconception would be, well, now I'm, be I'm totally beholden to insurance companies and they're going to dictate treatment to me and patients are only going to want to do the things that are covered and i don't think that's entirely true either um you know by by you know patients can have this insurance mindset of i only do what the insurance tells me to do but then that's up to you and your team yeah. to educate them about their what's best for their health and and having financing opportunities for them to be able to afford care um i don't think any very few people there's studies that the ada has, has shown too i don't have in front of me but i mean the, the the average American can't afford to have an unexpected five hundred dollar or thousand dollar expense in a given month. Uh, mm -hmm. Not that everyone's living paycheck to paycheck, but if I came up to you and told you, by the way, you owe me two thousand dollars now for a thing that doesn't hurt and doesn't bother you, you'd be like, well, "What? I don't." <laughs> you know, and that's an that, and if and uh, you know, so that's an a moment, an opportunity for education, and so having the systems in place for you and your team to educate people is great, and and so you're not beholding to the insurance companies dictating what that what they can do. That's the that's your your patient not understanding the opportunities. And back to that first one about running a factory, you certainly do not have to run a factory and and have this, you know, this this kind of mill uh, for 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 patients in order to to maintain some sort of profitability. I mean. There are certain really low-paying plans um, that that may you know you may need to really look at at how to how to work with volume in order to to do well with them, but certainly for the major PPOs that's not the case. Um, you know there are efficiencies that could be realized in a lot of practices, in my opinion, and mm -hmm. working efficiently out of say two chairs uh, with one or two assistants um, mm -hmm. is certainly something that is that is. Uh, possible and 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 that, that again that's not for every dentist but uh, there's ways to absolutely make these things work and I, I think some those two things are definitely misconceptions in my opinion. I I fully cool. agree with you. Yeah. I know Jordan has another question, but I can't just I can't stop thinking <laughs> yeah. about that one thing that you talked about where you know it's it, they're not in pain and uh, you're you're asking for two thousand dollars from them. So earlier this week, my wife wanted to buy one of those new uh, barbecue grills. Or those smoke grills that have the the smoke uh, pellets in them, and uh, I'm I'm used to buying like this the cheap uh, charcoal grills thirty five dollars at, at <laughs> Walmart or, or mm. Target. I love grilling with charcoal, and I just it, it to me it brings a different flavor. 
So it I, does though. So I asked my wife, how much is the grill that you want? And she says it's 2,400. <laughs> wow. Yeah. My next question was, uh, uh, does it sing and dance? And then from there, you know, the, the, the conversation, <laughs> her responses were just X-rated after that. Yeah, it does this, 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 and that. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you know, as a consumer, it's like, gosh, you know, I think you're right. You know, um, she, she sent me a video that totally sold me on it. And it was the presentation of it that I thought, wow, that would make my life much easier. And I was sold. Initially, $2,400, I was like, heck no, I'm not going to spend that yeah, much yeah. money on a grill. I can do my cook right. the cooking on my own. But after the benefits were explained to me, I was totally on board and thought, wow, this would be a great investment. This is no different than buying a new range in, inside of your house. The only difference is that you can use this grill outside and you can save on some energy yeah. costs and not have to not have to recool the house after you after, after you if you heat it up using the oven but i think you're totally right you know you, you can make it work the, uh, a lot of it you know is just pre presentation communication and all that and to me that's the biggest yeah. difference with great successful ppo practices or, or practices that do play the, i should say ppo modeled um, practices that play the game is a lot of them are very successful because of their presentation yeah, yeah. And, and i and i i would i love talking about sales and and i I know that makes a lot of dentists cringe. I don't sell <laughs> dentistry. And I agree with what they're well, conjuring yeah, in their minds of like, you know, with all respect to used car salesmen, they're conjuring that used car salesman, high pressure, high stakes sale. And and I never want that to be, that shouldn't be, a, that's the bad side, the dark side of, of yeah. sales. <laughs> but but it's it's by learning from sales techniques that you learn and let's not call it sales if, if they like. We can call it effective communication to help the audience understand their <laughs> needs and turn, you know, turn, but turning their, yeah. you know, so on and so forth. But basically it's turning what, it's linking what they want to what they need, in this case, dentally. Yeah. yeah. And that, so by, and, and I do a whole presentation on, um, on, on you know, case presentation and case acceptance. And the, in a nutshell essentially is you put yourself in that person's shoes from their perspective, right? It, how would you feel if I said like, okay, uh, you know, on a routine exam, I noticed that there's this growth uh, inside your toe, uh, your pinky toe. Now, I know it doesn't hurt, um, but we're gonna have to chop it off. You're gonna get a bionic toe though. It's gonna cost $5,000, <laughs> here's some, you know, payment options. You're gonna be like, I don't I don't even care. Like, why, bionic? no, I'll just leave my toe here. It doesn't hurt. I don't care that you found it on a routine exam. I'm good, right? So. Of course you would you would respond that way. And and so if you can think about how you would respond when talking to someone, you know, that might help make you a little more, you know, conjure some empathy and 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 help you give a better presentation. But essentially, you know, you 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 listen to the person, you ask them questions. What is what where do you want to be in 5 years? What you know, what's your goal for your oral health? And it doesn't even have to be even that obvious. But the point is, is to find out what's motivating this person. They want to get ahead in life. They want to be profitable. They want to get out of pain. And they want to be able to, to chew, whatever it is, and tie what their goals are in life or in dentistry to what it is that they need dentally. And that's just a, in a nutshell there. But, it, you know, for dentists out there, whether you're even, whether if you're not on PPOs, if you can master the systems that are necessary for you and your team to successfully educate patients, then you're going to have a much, much better go of it. Awesome. No, that was an awesome answer, uh, Chris. I was going to call you a doctor, but then I realized what you said earlier. So, <laughs> Yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm pretty informal. I, even my own patients, too. I'm like, hey, I'm Chris. 
and they're like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> no, I think that's awesome. I do. I really do. Uh, so just to uh, end this uh, question about insurance, wh- where do you think dental insurance is going? Uh, the, you know, there, as you know, I'm sure there are several insurance disruptors making their way their way into the industry. Uh, do you think dental insurance will ever go away? What are your thoughts there? No, I don't think it'll ever go away. So, so again, if if you look at public versus private. Um, and I, I, I may be a little fuzzy on the statistics, but it's something like, you know, two thirds. So like 65, 66% of Americans are covered by private or public benefits. So it's, it's a majority, right? And that, that factors for most practices. If you run a crunch on how many patients are on PPOs in your practice versus fee for service, it's usually like 30% or so somewhere in that neighborhood, depending on where you practice that don't have any insurance. And sometimes they're older, your older patients that are yep. retired and don't have, they've lost their dental benefits, right? You know, that kind of a thing. Um, but what's interesting is 40% of Americans that do have private benefits don't even use them, right? They have <laughs> benefits, whatever they might be, they might be really good or not so good. They don't even make use of them. So, you know, if, if we look at the flattening of demand for dental care in the U.S., which is still has been flat for a number of years now, um, it's been flat since 2008, and it has been declining, not in, not you know a slower rate of growth since 2000. I think two it was. Um, you know, if if you the cost is still a huge motivating factor for a lot of patients as to why they say they don't go to the dentist, but then mm-hmm. even when they have insurance, that still doesn't necessarily get them to go to the dentist. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's a it's a real messy issue, and no one's figured any of this out. But um, you will see, I'm sure, a couple of major uh, 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 pushes. Someone to, as you as you said correctly, someone to disrupt the PPO marketplace. You know, mm-hmm. I think what a lot of folks are looking for is to cut the the third party out and have kind of like the direct reimbursement idea from a few years back that the ADA mm-hmm. tried to push, where you just get dentists and and businesses, you know, and uh, and the yeah. HR groups of these businesses to just communicate more directly, and that will in- introduce some savings right off the bat because you don't have the oh, yeah. party that's that's overlooking claims and whatever. Um, so that's one push. I think people are looking for. There's got to be a way for people to figure that out, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're just waiting for it. Yeah, there are a few uh, things. The other push, uh, real quickly, I'll oh, just sure, say sure. the other push yeah. is, is is public. Sorry, I just want to make sure no, I no, get ahead. that. The other push <laughs> would be for for public insurance. So. Um, revamping Medicaid, we'll, we'll see how that goes, um, but also potentially having more services covered by Medicare. Um, so that's uh, those are, I think, are the two main trends to, to follow in the coming years, and, and everyone's just kind of waiting for someone to figure it out. Yeah, no, I like that. Uh, I On the PPO disruptor side, uh, I saw in dental economics a doctor out of Manhattan, I think he was located. Um, I think it was called the Doctors Network, <clears throat> and it was... Uh, very similar to what you put together, Jordan, um, but uh-huh. but uh, a, a little bit different in the sense that the the, the fee schedules were set. Um, and then there's Jordan. What Jordan is doing is I th- I think is a huge PPO disruptor. I think every dental office in the United States should have a, an in-house membership plan or a version of yeah. such that's legal in their state that activates yeah, oh yeah. over half of the uh, half of the public that does not have dental insurance. Dental is still a necessity for everybody. Um, uh-huh. And and one way or another, they're going to get in, they're going to have to go and see a dentist regardless of whether they have dental insurance or not. 
but uh, a few a few exciting things uh we'll make an announcement here in in a couple of months but i'm following one in particular that uh, i don't i don't want to say too much because i i don't want to give away uh too much of what what they're doing but what they're doing is working where they have over 90,000 patients in in minnesota and wisconsin that have converted to their program uh and a contingent for another 1.5 million patients in a couple other states that will follow suit and the nice thing is it's 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 very similar to what you said chris about uh the ada's direct oh, yeah. payment program it is awesome no. you eliminate the middleman yeah. and there's more more to pay the provider more savings for the employers uh, patients can get better benefits not the traditional 1500 annual max um, <laughs> so with the way the numbers work the the low utilization we actually pulled some broker data in some areas in the United States 40% of the patients don't use their insurance but in most other areas what we're finding is that it's it's more than 50 5% of patients don't use their insurance, not even for a basic cleaning. And with one major carrier, only 22% of their patients ever had to use their deductible, which means that mm. most of the patients, you know, uh, uh, about half of uh, a good number of patients would come in just to get a basic cleaning, a filling or here or there, but uh, only 22%. And that's what we're facing in the industry. The production that you do in the office if you look at it from a grand scheme of things, there's so much opportunity out there. There's so much dental need that's diagnosed that's not treated and undiagnosed as well. So in, in my no. opinion, the dental profession with or without insurance is, is, is a great industry to be in. I'd like to talk, Absolutely. talk about that cost analysis. So you were here in Salt Lake City two, three weeks ago. It was, it was nice to see, uh, yeah. see you here in person. Yeah. And you mentioned that you, you put together this cost analysis, what it cost to deliver a procedure, seat or crown, things like that. Can you, can you um, talk about that for a few minutes? Yeah, sure. So this originally came, I wrote an article in, in D that came out a couple months ago and it talked about the concept of procedure cost, which, which is a name I sort of came up with, but the concept's been around for a long time. It came from a TV show, Bar Rescue yes. with John Taffer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that show. Really good make, great restaurant maker. It's gotten a little more reality TV in recent years, but the first few seasons are gold. And, you know, so in the restaurant industry, uh, like many industries, they, they have their, their methods of determining if something is profitable or not. And we've understood in, in the dental industry, uh, hopefully, uh, sometimes still don't pay attention to it, but just the <laughs> overhead of the overall practice, like, like right, like 25%, let's say, of, of your uh, costs go to, uh, go to your, your team members, right? And like 5 to 7% for supplies and those kinds of things. But what started to fascinate me after watching his show was what is the cost of an individual procedure? What is the profitability of an individual procedure? And so on his show, he'll just, you know, go up to a, a, a bar, a restaurant owner who, who is failing and doesn't know what they're doing and says, you know, what does it cost you to put out this plate of food? What does it cost you for this bottled beer or this, this poured uh, pint of beer? And they would, of course, have no idea. But he was able to rattle off industry standards and say, well, your cost should be 17%, or this for this, it's 22%. Therefore, you're not charging enough. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is brilliant. Why have we never – what's my <laughs> crown cost? I had no – you know, if you ask most dentists what's your crown cost, they'll tell you what their lab fee is. And that is not yeah, your that's crown not cost the accurate is. crown cost, no. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a significant it's a part of portion it. of it, yeah. but it's not the whole thing. So in the article, I talk about procedure cost, and, and that's a very simple calculation. You just take your total costs, which are 
your direct costs. It's your labor, and in that I include your assistant, if you're assuming you have a chair-side assistant with you. How much did you pay for, say, an hour and a half, hour prep temp impression? Two weeks later, you bring them in for a half hour for inserts. So let's say it's an hour and a half. What is your assistant's you know, cost right there? And then, yeah, you actually add up all your direct material costs, impression material, anesthetic, all that stuff. And that sounds like a crazy calculation, but I'm only doing this for, you know, my, my main, you know, six or eight procedures, and you only have to do this cost once, you know. And, um, you know, you don't get crazy and add, like, cotton rolls or whatever, but, you know, the, the major items that you would think of. And when you get that information together, uh, that's your, your, your total cost. Divide that by what you charge, what your fee is, and multiply it by 100, and that's your procedure cost. You want that number to be really low. The lower that number is, the more that's mm. left over for profitability. Now, since I've written that article and, and developed this, this, this concept, um, there's another amazing show that I started <laughs> to fall in love with called The Profit with Marcus Lewis. Oh, Lewis. yeah. I love The great. Profit. He is so great. And he talks about the same concept. He talks about it not from a cost perspective, but from a profitability perspective. It's the same concept, though. So mm-hmm. now when I go and lecture on it, I actually do a, a slightly different calculation. It doesn't really matter what you do. Basically, instead of doing cost divided by fee, I do uh, the, the, your, your fee minus your cost divided by your fee. So it's, it, it doesn't matter. You end up getting the, the other side of the equation. So if instead mm-hmm. of 18% of cost, or let's make it easy math, you know, instead of 20% uh, of procedure cost, it's 80% of, of profit that you're looking at. Whatever number you're looking at, it doesn't matter. It's two sides of the same coin. But the point is, is to look at this stuff, cost and profitability for individual procedures, your major procedures. And when I started to look at that and calculate that, I was led to very interesting conclusions about what, how to set my fees, about maybe using different materials. Um, there were procedures I was doing where I was breaking even or even losing money. And this is oh. before you even add in all of the other costs of running the business, right? This is not in, <laughs> yeah. I am not even paying my hygienist or my front desk staff yet. This is just my assistant and my, the cost of my materials. That's it. And it's very, it's alarming in some cases when you, when you, when you look at this. Yeah. I, there's a, there's a guy here. Gosh, I can't remember his name here in Utah that does, um, an analysis. I think, I think his, his is a lot, uh, more aggressive. And I looked at the reports and I thought it was a great idea. But then after, after talking to you and reading your article and then Jordan, you put together something very similar, right? On your website. Well, yeah, after I read, uh, after I read uh, Chris's article, I'm like, oh, there's got to be some tools out there that can, can uh, help practices figure out the, you know, the procedure profit margin. Um, so Chris and I were emailing back and forth and trying to, you know, I asked him like, do you know if there's anything out there, you know, like on Excel that it's like a template? He's like, I, I don't know if I've seen anything out there. So I'm like, well, I can make one. So I, I made a, a quick little calculator that helps practices create uh, or understand their procedure profit margins. And uh, I added in there the, the fee-for-service fees versus the PPO fees so they can compare the two as well and kind of see what's happening there. But, yeah, I have, I have a resource there, and I, I'm, I'm big into this. Um, when I manage my dad's lab, like we mentioned with Mark's, uh, Mark Cossie's interview, that's something he never did, and it drove me crazy. So I, I, fi- I had to figure it out on my own how to figure out, you know, the 
all the profit margin procedures. So, yep, that's I, I'm big into that. It's I think it's amazing, and every practice should be doing it. Yeah, if you're not doing it, yeah, and you're and successful. Think, that's like the magic. That that's the rabbit trick, right? It's just uh, magic. You're doing okay. It's luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it's it's my my goal is to make this the calculation simple, and I love the the spreadsheet that that Jordan put together. It totally makes sense, and it, it follows a lot what's in that DE article, and just makes yeah. it so so turnkey for folks. You know. The resistance I get is I don't want to add all this stuff up, and it's like it's actually not that time consuming. You know, when you, when you're down, when you have you know down patient time for an hour, you and your assistant just sit together and and yeah. just figure it out. You know, do a procedure at a time, and you don't, again you're only doing it for your major stuff, your crown, your two surface filling, let's say you know molar endo, whatever. Um, the other resistance I get to is oh, but you sh but what about what you pay yourself, and what about your your cost for your staff, and the and this is where I have to be very clear. This is gross profit margin, not net profit margin. Yeah. If you watch a show like Marcus Lemonis, this is what this is the calculation he does all the time when he talks about, oh, these are good margins for this product. He's like, what does it cost yep. you to do this? What if it's flowers, like how much for the vase? How much for the flowers? How much to pay the person for the five minutes to arrange it? This is you you're deliberately not looking at all those other costs. And here's why. I want to be able to compare my practice to your practice, to someone else's practice. Maybe in your practice you have five hygienists and ten people at the front desk. Maybe I only have one. If we start adding in those other costs, we, we're, we're muddying the waters a bit. It's still useful to look at that for your own personal practice, but it makes the complications more, more complicated and it also just makes it, you know, now we're doing comparing apples to oranges and not, not something as, as, as pure. But when you do put that number together, as Jordan mentioned, it's very good to use to determine uh, what your different fees are for Crown on different insurance uh, panels and whatnot. And I found, yeah, heck, the, the lowest paying, um, you know, insurance that I accept in my practice for like a denture, let's say, I was barely breaking even probably losing wow. money to do that. And so now you can, as an active business owner, make a choice. I'm going to drop this insurance, A. B, you say, geez, you run a report and you say, I'm only doing two dentures a year on this, on this plan. You know, whatever. I'll, I'll put up with it because and, and, I'm seeing all these other patients for these other more profitable procedures. Or you can say, you know what, I'm going to refer out dentures on this particular plan. I think that's a perfectly ethical thing to do. Hmm, um, yeah. And, and if, it's not, if not dentures, then endo or whatever. You say, I'm going to send this to a specialist. They'll get great care there. The specialist is going to get reimbursed better. And, and you know, I just, I just can't make this procedure profitable in my practice because I need more time or materials or whatever. And so you refer it out and the patient's going to get great care. But the point is, is that you're looking at this stuff and you're making a decision. Yeah, I, I agree 100% with that. Um, any other thoughts on that, Ben? Or, no, no. Um, that, that's with, with the master said it all. <laughs> that's yeah, pretty good. The master well, you said know, it I'll, all. I'll, yeah. I'll close by saying um, for dentists that are considering getting on a new PPO schedule, um, mm -hmm. you know what you do. You get the facts in and, and you look at a, you know, a couple of those big procedures. This is another way to use this, to, to use this information to determine can you accept this new plan. Uh, rather than just kind of getting a gut feeling like, oh, $600 for a crown? I think that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, put some, yeah. put some yeah. math on it, you know? Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I'll say is this is a very useful thing for determining how to set your own fees, even your private fees. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, you know, may, you want to charge $1,500 for a crown because you, you feel you're, you know, you've been around a long time, you do good crowns, and you want to do that. Okay, great. Totally go for that. But 
you know, we tend to, you know, we publish a fee survey every year. That's a helpful thing to know is, you know, what are dentists in your area, your neck of the woods charging for things. That's helpful for you to determine what to charge. But, you know, you also want to look at your own costs. You may look at, for example, uh, say implant crowns, and you realize that you're ridiculously profitable on implant crowns. And you say, you know what, I'm not doing that many. Maybe it's maybe I am priced too high, and I ran my costs. Geez, I think I could actually lower the cost a little bit, and maybe the demand in my with among my patients for this service will go up, and I'll do more more procedures and help more patients. By you know still still profitable profitable, but I mean, I was actually charging too much. So that it's mm. it's uh, it can be very useful to to look at this and rather than just doing you know gut feelings on what your fee should be yeah that's smart you know <laughs> to, to me it's better to make some profit with the patient in the chair as to no as opposed to no profit unless you're yeah, an extremely yeah. busy practice absolutely you know you want to pair back on uh the low cost paying low paying ppos like you said earlier chris but uh I, I like this concept i think this is one area that's missed in just about every dental practice that's out there it could help big time if you invest some time, you know, finding out what your costs are to deliver a procedure. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just think it's so critical because, I mean, I saw the effects of not knowing your numbers when I managed my dad's dental lab, and it was, I mean, I remember he was selling a crown to to a doctor, and uh, he was losing money every crown he did for that doctor. I, I showed my, mm. I, I created a, a calculator for my dad as well, and I'm like, look you're losing money on this like why are you doing this it doesn't make any sense whatsoever <laughs> right and the, yeah. the same the same applies to any dentist or any other business owner out there they, you got to know your numbers um, and I, I think understanding the, the the cost of a procedure and, and and your profit margins is so critical um, but that's 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 a uh, that's me I, I put a high value on that so uh, let's move on to the next question here um, so Chris what are some of your favorite articles on, on dental economics. And uh, I know both Ben and I write articles, so you don't have to choose ours, but uh, <laughs> tell, us, yeah, tell us what you like up there. And, and, uh, and Well, uh, yeah, so so pre present company excluded. Uh, <laughs> and you both are, are excellent writers, and of course I am not just saying that because you're, you're on the phone with me here. Um, so, you know, we're not a product magazine and we're not a clinical magazine, we're practice management, right? But um, one of my favorite features is, and I'll give a shout out to my, my buddy Josh Austin. Um, Dr. Austin is a, is a GP down in San Antonio. We've been friends for a number of years. He took over the Pearls for Your Practice column. And so again, even though we're not a, a, a product review magazine, um, he just is such a funny writer, such a, 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 an intelligent writer. Um, I never miss him writing about products. I find some people that write about products in, 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 out there and in, in, various publications sometimes it just sounds a little commercial you know and and it's just like a a press release that's been been regurgitated uh there are great <laughs> product writers out there and josh is one of them um and he also does video pearls too so he'll for some of his pearls he'll, he'll actually do a video demo um on our on our website as well so uh, shout out to josh I, I never miss his column and then someone that writes for us periodically uh she has a really great series right now is dr aaron elliott She's a, uh, a general dentist out of Idaho, and she um, she's I, a significant portion of her practice is now devoted to sleep apnea, which is a very oh. hot topic these days. But yes, you know, yeah, while most of us dabble a little bit, you know, she has you know days of her practice that are just devoted to this. 
Scorner practiced tremendously through it. But she cracked the code for getting paid for this stuff, you know, how to bill medical and all of that. I mean, forget it. You thought PPOs were a pain. Like, try billing medical, right? So, <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So she has a great series. She's written a bunch of articles for us, but she's in, in doing a series right now where she just walks you through the foreign language that is medical billing and, and how to build systems with your team uh, so that this becomes a very smooth process and, and you can get more more appliances done. Um, so shout out to Aaron Elliott. And, and she does some videos for us as well to, to take us deeper into the content. Cool. Well, hey, I know you, have, cool. you have this uh, upcoming practice management conference. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. I'm looking at the speaker lineup. You have uh, Tarun Argawal. You have uh, oh, nice. Steven Anderson, Mike DiTola, uh, Joy uh, Jandula. Oh yeah, Joy Jandusa, yeah, and uh, Roger, Roger Levin will be there. Yep, you got you, got so, Alan and, Schiff. Um, Alan Schiff, who's great, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we started conferences uh, last year, and uh, so this will be our second one. It's a complete, total focus on practice management. There's no clinical lectures, nothing like that. Um, and what's great is it's a, it's an intimate setting, right? So we we we're looking to have that kind of think tank. Uh, approach. It's not going to be a thousand people at this conference. That's that's not what it's for. The idea is you get to spend quality time with these leaders in practice management, both in the lecture and outside of the lecture. And some of the most fun I had last year was in between sessions and after after sessions, we get to hang out and you just get to talk to people from around the country. Like, what are you doing with your business right now? What are your headaches? How do you handle cool. this? So you walk out of there being like, I got this. Like, and you know what to do when you get back in Monday morning, uh, and and what systems to start building. So, uh, it's going to be in Charlotte, and it's uh, less than a month away. It's July twentieth to the twenty first, and um, uh, if people want to register, check it out. It's at principlesofpracticemgmt.com. If you just go to dentaleconomics.com, you can find some links for that. But uh, it'll it'll be I can't wait for it. It's 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 uh like I said, it's in its second year, but it's already becoming one of my top three conferences to go to. Cool. I I cool. wish I I found out about this earlier this year because I have that week uh Likewise. scheduled. Um so principles of practice management oh practice yeah, practice dot com. So I found the website. I'll post it in the yeah. show notes. So for those oh, of you, you that are listening on your iPhone, iPad, or driving, uh, Chris, I'll, I'll put that in the show notes for people to, to register and attend. Uh, July 20th to 21st, 2017. If you're listening to this after 2017, will be there. Will there be any other future conferences for this, Chris? Oh yeah, we're gonna do we're gonna do one a year. We're looking to keep it around the summertime. And cool. uh, next venue to be determined, but uh, we'll, we'll move it around the, the U.S. Go to, go, go to Disney right World. On. I'll be there. I'm usually, yeah. usually there all month of July. <laughs> well, Love this well, Chris, hey, hey, thanks so much for being on the program. Do you have any closing thoughts? This has been extremely valuable information. I love taking notes, and I have a lot of things that I'm going to write You know, as we put together the show notes for you, just some of the highlights of our conversation today. Do you have any closing Great. thoughts for our audience about anything that we discussed or anything that we haven't discussed? Yeah, I would just say, and thank you both, by the way. I, I love the material that you produce, and thank you both for what you do for, for the dental profession. Uh, yeah. You know, in closing, it's a absolutely bonkers and interesting time to be a dentist right now, and, and <laughs> especially the, the solo practitioner may feel kind of lost and lonely as these big sweeping changes are happening. P they feel like PPOs are taking over or DSOs or whatever it is, and it's 
it is a wonderful time, an amazing time to be a dentist, but the game has changed and we have to become active business owners, not passive ones. So the key, I think, to all of that is just to stay in touch with each other. Go to your local dental society meetings. Go to your local study club meetings. Go to national meetings. Be participate in discussions on Facebook and all of this. Just stay connected to each other as a profession. Uh, that will not only make you a more learned, uh, you know, a, a business owner, but also we will stay more united as a profession. Be able to to keep track of these big sweeping changes as they affect us. Thank you. Love that. We, That's awesome. We appreciate what you do for the industry. I think you're one of the uh, local. Uh, you're one of the new age superheroes for the industry and. I think what oh, what you. you do in terms of uh, the education, the facilitating of these conferences is just so huge for the profession, and it, it impacts it in such a positive way. So we thank you for that. And then one of the other things thank that you. I want to invite the, the the listeners: if you have a study club, or if you're part of a CE organization for your local ADA group or or any other groups, AGD, um, Chris does speak. He is a wonderful speaker. He 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 has a speaking. Uh, um, uh, prospectus that he can send you, right, Chris? You you, you do take on yep. some speaking assignments. Um, oh, sure. Oh, yeah. So, highly recommend uh, if 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 anybody's interested in that, Chris. Uh, how do they get a hold of you? I appreciate that. Yeah. So, um, my blog is called thecuriousdentist.com, and okay. I put a lot of my lecture material on there. It's available for free, and you can also reach out to me with uh, with any of that. And I appreciate you mentioning that. Awesome. So, thecuriousdentist.com. Awesome. And we'll post yeah. the uh, principles of practice management on the website. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being hey. on. And, yes, uh, thanks, Chris. We, we sure look Thank forward to, to, to doing more work with you here in the near future. And um, hope to. Our, our goal is to organize a big conference here. I'm working on um, a few groups here. I'm just trying to get these study clubs combined so that we can do this together as a profession and maybe That'd have awesome. two to 300 dentists here in locally. Because we just think the world of you and think that you have a lot to offer by way oh, of education. So thank you, sir. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yes. Thanks, guys. Have a great summer. Yeah, you too.